Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Talking Your Way to Change, and I am the host, Sand Banker. Today's episode is about psychological resistance, what it is, and how to think about it. I often think it would be great if there was a manual for clients to read who are in psychotherapy. One of the subject indexes would list resistance and another stages of change. The psychological literature and research have documented that when people change, they typically follow certain stages of change. These are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and relapse. I will talk more fully about these stages of change in another episode. But today we're going to talk about resistance. The identification of resistance in psychotherapy originated with Sigmund Freud. Freud noticed that people avoided topics of discussion that struck too closely to uncomfortable past memories or experiences or unacceptable feelings or desires. Resistance is ubiquitous to therapy and change. It is normal to doubt and avoid the disruption to the status quo. Yet, if we notice it and hold it, resistance that is, with curiosity, this force can become a catalyst to growth. At other times, though, dealing with resistance can become contentious and disruptive for either or both the therapist or and the client. Being a part of someone else's psychological healing growth and expansion is really, truly one of my most satisfying experiences in life. More specifically, I love the process of helping people free themselves from habitual patterns of behaviors, moods, and symptoms that cause them to get less uh, satisfaction out of life. What does it mean to free yourself from patterns of behavior? Well, let's flush that out with an example. A hypothetical client let's call her Sarah, say is drawn into helping a coworker who needs a place to live, who is fleeing a situation that has become unbearable. Sarah allows this coworker to live with her, but over time becomes frustrated and miserable because this coworker has not paid her rent, stays up late, uh, leaves the bathroom messy. Sarah now wants to ask the coworker to leave but is aware that this woman has nowhere to go and cannot bear to think about this woman being homeless. Sarah enters therapy asking for help related to her anxiety, which has become unbearable. And she's finding it harder and harder to do the things she needs to do to take care of herself and manage her own mental health, such as working out, eating healthy, getting a good night's sleep, And she wonders why she continues to attract such needy people. She thought that she had really vetted this situation and talked to this woman and considered all the ways that she could preemptively set boundaries. Yet it even happened anyway. During the course of her therapy, she begins to learn. She has to learn that she herself is choosing to have needy people in her life that life will actually always have needy people. I mean, let's face it, it's really hard to be human. 
that in making the choice to allow this woman to move in with her, she did help set the stage in her life of once again subjugating her own needs for another person. Why? Because she can? And perhaps she was taught as a child, you give what you can always. You give what you can to your siblings, to your parents, perhaps your community. The resistance is towards not seeing something more deeply unconscious to her and this situation. It's more clouded. What's more clouded is perhaps that she has a wish to experience this process of being able to successfully help a needy person. It is she herself that she is hoping to save by saving another. In the situation, this was similar enough to an earlier childhood experience that was never resolved. She hopes and wishes that she could really help this coworker heal and become her best self. Her resistance in this example is driven by unconscious need, her lack of judgment, correct reality testing for what her coworker needed and her own needs. Over time in therapy, Sarah learns and practices putting in and putting her own needs before others, particularly if helping others comes at a cost of her own needs. Psychological resistance is often unconscious. It creates all these processes that evolve that block change. Sometimes people call it self-sabotage, or sometimes people might just feel stuck. We want to change, but we find we're not changing, and we really don't know why. Yet, we have this inkling that we are the ones getting in our own way. In putting together and writing this podcast, I decided to um, organize resistance into different categories. Now, these categories are ones that I just conceptualize. Um, they may have been written about in research somewhere. Um, I don't know. But anyway, this is what I've come up with. There are different categories of resistance in therapy. One is resistance in actually doing the therapy. Another is resistance in the therapeutic relationship. There's resistance to implementing any changes discussed in the therapy. And finally, there is resistance within the psyche of the client. The first category often includes, let me repeat that one, resistant, resistance and actually doing therapy. This first category often includes conflict and struggle in terms of the frame of the therapy. So what would that look like? Ah, uh, clients being late, clients missing appointments, not having anything to talk about, not allowing the therapist to comment or influence you or counsel you, basically teach you anything. Um, coming to session, perhaps high or intoxicated. Now, those would all be forms of resistance. And they all, to me, fall into the category of resistance to actually even kind of beginning and doing the therapy. Another form of resistance can happen in your relationship with the therapist. 
And that can come from ruptures or conflicts in the, in the alliance, it's called. It typically comes from the therapist, empathic failures. So somehow the therapist has not um, subs- given the correct or substantial empathy to whatever the client is struggling with. Um, it could come from power struggles with your therapist. There can also be resistance for actually implementing any of the changes that you talk about making in therapy, outside of therapy. So you are talking about your drinking in therapy, but you actually refuse to ever give up that problematic drinking. Um, Not doing homework, not implementing the changes discussed, um, passivity with others. And then finally, there's the resistance. And this is the trickiest one, right? The resistance within yourself, if you're the client, the resistance to recognize your hidden motives, resistance to recognize and experiencing feelings, a refusal to look at your own dysfunctional patterns or contributions of behavior, such as refusing to become involved in, say, maybe opportunities that come your way. Um, Maybe you're waiting to be rescued by someone. Maybe you have a pattern of being oppositional. We are all only aware of such a small percentage of what our mind is, is feeding us. And most of what we're doing truly is unconscious. So one really has to have a certain amount of curiosity about oneself to identify those, that resistance. Um, one has to have a certain amount of psychological mindedness in order to address resistance. But once we make that unconscious conscious, it's my belief that we move the psychological resistance into that possibility of change. So if we say we want to lose weight, we want to stop drinking, we want to get married, we want to find a new job, or we need to find a purpose in our life because we're so miserable, and then we don't, or we don't take any steps to make those, make that change happen, we can know, Hey, there must be some resistance. There must be some way that my mind actually doesn't want to do this. It, and why does it do this? Like, why do our minds do this to us? Well, we prefer familiarity as a means of survival. We generally will choose the less painful option. Um, and, or perhaps fear fear? What is the fear about? Well, paradoxically, we often don't want to know about ourselves what we don't want to know because it feels uncomfortable. We also have a desire at the same time to deeply know ourselves and appreciate ourselves. So though it's uncomfortable and it might cause anxiety, oftentimes we really have a sense of satisfaction and appreciation when we do discover something about ourselves some of us more than others. There are various reasons why we fear knowing ourselves and our truth more. Perhaps we're afraid that we will learn that we are more responsible for our emotional and behavioral problems than what we want to admit. Perhaps we unconsciously hold beliefs as an adult through the eyes of a child that are irrational and do need to be challenged. Often it is fear that holds us unconscious of our awareness 
We fear that if we become closer to the truth, we will experience or cause others to experience immense suffering. Sometimes I think people are just afraid to become closer to the truth because they believe that the truth will cause them more suffering than they already feel, or it will be at the expense of someone else. Here's one example that comes to mind is that people like say a person believes that their inner conflict or depression is linked to their partner whom they see as the culprit of their unhappiness and believe that they need to make a choice between two negatives, stay in an unsatisfying marriage and or leave the marriage and be alone, financially depleted or disrupt their children's lives. When what really needs to happen is that person has to decide if their marriage is the ordinary unhappiness and disappointment of life and that what you once idealized is not going to meet all of your needs and it is going to demand much of you or it really is truly unlivable and depressing. Often our conflicts stem from not being able to integrate, right? Love and hate, gratitude and envy. These concepts stem from a more psychoanalytic developmental perspective, but we could also look at it from a more contemporary perspective. The decision is not about whether to stay or go, but either to put energy and work into your marriage and or yourself. One can see why it is perhaps easier to avoid all of this and just stay in resistance. One can see why it is perhaps easier to avoid all of this and just be in resistance. And yet I offer this also as reassurance that in my experience, therapy does address your resistance, but tends to be so gradual and reparative that often people do not make decisions that are harmful and destructive. It is often the decisions that we make impulsively and without reflection and growth that end up being harmful. So how do you deal with your resistance? Well, number one is, do you know that it exists? Have you considered that you do have resistance? You could ask yourself, how am I getting in my own way? Talk about that in therapy. Talk about it with the loved one. Are you refusing to change? You might talk to your therapist about how the resistance might be playing out in the therapy. You could set goals and then reflect upon whether you ever make them. You could reflect on your own openness, openness to life, openness to others, openness to change, openness to inner exploration. You could ask yourself, what are the things that I have ambivalence about and learn more about it? Finally, I leave you with this quote by Aeneas Nin. The day came when the risk to remain tight in the bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Until next time, this is Dr. Banker. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this week on Talking Your Way to Change. You can also visit our Facebook page. You can subscribe to the show on Anchor or iTunes so that you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, we would appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or you could just simply tell a friend. I need to alert everyone that this podcast is not meant as a substitution for mental health treatment. 
So although the podcast deals with psychotherapy, this is not your psychotherapy. Okay, thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Dr. Banker.